welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani. Hi, I'm Rich Irani, and you're listening to Rich in Life. On today's episode, we discuss cancel culture. And who better to talk to than Melissa Rivers, actor, host, and executive producer of The Fashion Police. We're going to talk about why people are outraged about nearly everything, why comedy is not funny anymore, and what it's doing to the entertainment industry in Hollywood. And I asked Melissa, why is nobody sounding the alarm about it, instead of cowering and apologizing to the mob? Melissa and I share laughs and commonalities, and more importantly, we discuss what would her mother, Joan Rivers, do right when we need her the most. Let's find out. So I have the very smart and talented host, actress, and producer, an executive producer of the Fashion Police, Melissa Rivers. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Did you know that I was on a short list to replace Jay Rodriguez on the Fashion Police? Did you know that? Really? Yeah. Blythe had called me up. And it was at a time when customers were just throwing money at me. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, I got to go. Okay, bye. Like not really knowing how, what a great opportunity that might've been. But I remember did following up with her, I think a couple of weeks later. And she's like, oh, they gave it to Stephanopoulos, I think. And Katsiopoulos. How do you say it? Katsiopoulos. 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 Right. It was Katsiopoulos. And I remember watching it and saying, yeah, they, they did. They made a better choice. He was great. He was great. He on was the fantastic. Show. And I adore George and we're still in touch. And he has one of the best laughs. Yeah, he does. I mean, a I great think laugh. was that part of the prerequisite to be on the show? Everyone had a hearty, hearty laugh. It's no. like, even if I didn't get the joke, I would laugh. Right. No, it wasn't a prerequisite. But George just had this fantastic laugh. And at least once a show, my mother would drop something in just to make George crack up. (laughs) I love it. That's so cute. Um, And what I love particularly about the show was the fact that everyone can speak their mind. Nobody was on eggshells. Everybody really looked so relaxed. And, you know, you made fun of the clothes. You made fun of the designers. You made fun of the celebrities, their appearance, whatever it was. And to me, that was part of, that was the best part of the show. I mean. It it was really fun. And it was also because nobody was taking things so seriously. And if anyone did, they were missing the fun of the show. If you were really taking like, (gasps) and getting all uptight, it's like, come on, this show is fun. We're talking about the most beautiful men and women in the world, wearing the most expensive clothes in the world, and they're all making, you know, millions upon millions of dollars a year. And we don't like one of your outfits, then you need to figure out like your right. priorities. Right. You need to get a you, you need to be able to take a joke, which is well, exactly Yeah. I mean, it's not even just a joke. It's um, you know, again, you're getting all your clothes for free and we don't like one outfit. You should be able to survive that. Right. So it's funny, I had somebody on the podcast a couple of um weeks ago, Jackie Reed from um New York Live, and she had so much respect. She loved Joaquin Phoenix's um, speech and how he wore the same Stella McCartney tuxedo, you know, for for three awards, you know, she wore them for three award ceremonies. And I'm thinking to myself, and I told her, I'm like, why are we proud of him for wearing a $10,000 tuxedo three times in a row? 
I mean, well, you know, with men, it's different. It's like you should be able to wear your same tuxedo for years. Now, a lot of these men, you know, who are like a Joaquin, you know, Joaquin Phoenix, who are very, very watched now, especially fashion wise. Yes, you do need whatever the most modern cut is or whatever it is. But again, most men, if they even own a tuxedo, have the right. same one for years. Right. Of course. I mean, throw me that tuxedo. I'll wear it for years and years. I mean, it was within the same award season. Right. And, you know, again, I, I think the intention was good. Right. I think, you know, he doesn't do anything to be anything but organic and, and, and true to who he is. So, but for a major star in award season, that was a big deal. Yeah, I guess so. Well, I, I want to jump into cancel culture. And this is where... I don't know how much I want to care about it, Melissa. It's like I pontificate on the fact that like, do I really want to care about this? But I already got feedback on some of the stuff I've said on my podcast and I'm, I'm nobody. I mean, you know, I've used the word girls. I tried to set girls up. They're like, well, you shouldn't use girls. It's kind of derogatory. I use it because I think it sounds more innocent when you're talking about dating and you're talking about sex. And, you know, I, I think it's a more innocent thing, but, you know, I've gotten feedback on a lot of things, you know, on a lot of words I've used. Um, yeah, I, I have a lot to say about the whole cancel culture, especially when it comes to comedy. Um, you know, the pendulum always has to swing so far one direction to self-correct and work its way back to more of the middle with more awareness. I too have a lot of trouble with language in the cancel culture. You do you know, have. I do. I call my friends and I, I'm like, oh, we're the girls. You know, who's coming over? The girls. You know, it, it's, you know, and I catch myself having to say woman or women or my women friends. Like, I think, you know, again, I think everything you know, it has to swing so, the pendulum has to swing so far one way to even get to the middle. And I think we're still in the part of the whole thing where we're overcorrecting. You see, yeah, I'm not succumbing to it. And I know that it's going to come and bite me in the ass. I mean, I try to be very cautious, but I'm the guy when I go to a fancy place with Brad and, you know, on the Upper East Side, the pool, and it's so swanky and there's all straight people, beautiful. Oh, I know where you're talking about. Okay, right. So me and Brad are waiting for people and we're in the corner. So I'm ordering my drinks and I said, I'll take them. He goes, let me bring them for you. Okay. I said, you know, we're in the back. He's like on the right or the left. I'm like, just go to the back, go to the right. You'll see two fags sitting down over there. I'm like, you know, the people at the bar were like, oh, you know, they get very, but that's my humor. But also you're talking about yourself. But again, you know, it goes back to, like I said, I've done this sort of mini series on my podcast about the state of comedy and how the cancel culture has affected comedy. And I've talked to a bunch of amazing comedians about it. And everybody kind of has a different take. But when someone like a Jim Gaffigan suddenly is getting blowback, you have to go, really? Right. Jim Gaffigan? Okay, so this is, okay, so I wanna, I wanna talk about some of the people who I'm sure you've spoken about with people before, but I don't care, we need to talk about it. That's fine. Ke Kevin Hart, okay. I mean, he tweeted himself out of a job. I mean. Well, he, I don't, he didn't tweet himself out of a job. He got something from his past came up. On a tweet. You know, uh, was it, no, right. no, no, I thought it was, a, it was part of his comedy act. It was. Oh, a, okay, maybe, I thought it was a tweet. Older routines. Okay. Um, what do I think? Yeah, I, I mean, he, he, wait, let's let's talk about what it was that he didn't want. He saw his son playing with dolls. 
and right. he didn't want his son to be gay. Right. Now, whether it was true or not true, I'm gay, I have children. I mean, I wasn't offended. I mean, I laughed at it. I mean, I would feel bad if it was me, you know, if he was talking about me personally, you know what I'm saying? But I, how- again, you know, everything gets taken out of context. Right. And I think that's part of the problem. When he did that routine, that was acceptable. So you're being judged, your past is being judged by today's mores. And that's, I feel like that's not unfair. It was, especially in comedy. And I'm not saying that it was okay. I'm not saying that it was right. I'm saying it's a stand-up doing a bit and the time frame in which it was done, you were still allowed to do that. So you, you know, you can't judge me by what I did. Do you want to be judged at shit you did at 28? You know, of course not. Hell, I don't want to be judged by the clothes I wore in high school or, you know, I, you, you, and I think that's where it's gone too far. But he, the line keeps changing. That's what the problem is. That's, that's the problem. And my bigger problem is you're also putting people in a situation where they are punished for something they did and you're not acknowledging that they perhaps have grown and changed. We're allowing Perfect. people, we're being frozen in time. Perfectly and, put. That's not right. People are allowed to grow and change. And evolve. People and evolve. evolve. What you I know? might have thought and said 10 years ago, I might not think and say today, or I might think it and not say it. Yeah. And again, you know, you want to go back and say, does anybody, was anybody a fully formed human being in now, let alone in their 20s? No. No. I'm a completely different person. And I think part of the cancel culture is allowed, is, is, is saying you're not allowed to grow and change, that you're frozen in time. Well, I think it's kind of like a mentality of people who I want to get to later on and, and how, they've, um, how they've gotten all of this traction and steam to literally bulldoze everybody into apologizing and people to losing jobs. But I want to get to that. I mean, Kelly Osborne also had a little bit of a blunder on your show. I don't remember what happened. Did you guys cancel that when she said something about Mexicans? Do you remember Oh, that? no, that's not what happened. No, that wasn't my show. That was oh. on uh, the view. Another E. What? Oh, that was another think, E show? No, it was on The View. The View, she was okay. In The View, right. and they were talking about Trump. You're right, I'm sorry. And she made a comment, and even she got some blowback from well, that. Well, her comment wasn't great. No, but I mean, it was innocent. Let's just- uh, it, it, By the way, it was totally innocent. Yeah. And Kelly is the most innocent, believe it or not, big-hearted, loyal human being alive. And she got blowback for it. Um, what she said, if I was producing the show, I would have been like, Kelly, you cannot right. say that. <laughs> you know, you cannot <laughs> say that. Oh, but, did you ever say, did you ever say that to your is, mom? Oh, all the time. All the time. Um, but the thing with Kelly was the bigger point she was making was that Trump was out of touch with immigration. I got her point. But was it that was a blunder? Absolutely. That was a blunder. That's like anyone you, you, you right. know, I, I've done stuff where I, you know, they cut to commercial. I'm like, oh, fuck. What did I just say? I mean, we've all done that. <laughs> I, I, when I go to sleep, I think about, okay, what did I say? What are the comments am I going to get? And I hate that feeling. But I, one thing I do not, I, I hate to use the word appreciate, but when I think where I think the cancel culture has been important is 
it's allowed people a freedom to address things that are wrong without being chastised for them, like the Me Too movement, like, you know, those kinds of things. I think it goes too far when people have to have their, you know, college campuses, they have their safe spaces. And I remember there was a thing with Chelsea Clinton who had to be apologizing for something her parents said ages ago. And this person, there was a clip of it, was berating her. Yeah, and you see, want to be like, this is this is where it's gone too far. Yes. Okay. So now you have a son in college. I know Cooper's yes. in college. Yes. Now I know, I don't know if you've heard of the evergreen college guy, Brett. I forgot what his last name is. He literally got fired. He was a liberal, but he wouldn't stay home on a day that, do you know the story? No, had, I don't. Do, do enlighten me. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's not really, I mean, it, it is kind of interesting. I will enlighten you. His name, let me just find it here exactly so you know. Am I going to want to write this down? Let me know. Brett Weinstein. His name is Brett Weinstein. Okay, I'm writing this down because I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to. I have a feeling this is one of those ones I'm going to want to look up later too. It's Evergreen College. Brett Weinstein. He's a liberal professor there, and they had this tradition in this college that every year all the black kids don't. One day they don't show up to school. Evergreen College. I've never heard of it. Evergreen College. That's where is it? It's in California somewhere. I don't know. It's one of like the smaller. Liberal arts kind of schools. Yeah. So they have a tradition where everybody doesn't wear black, where black kids do not show up one day. Yeah. It was a day of absence. It was called the day of absence. So, and it was a tradition. The black kids volunteered once a year to not come to school to show what it would be like to not have any black people in school. Great idea. Okay. Yeah. Great idea. Right. One day they decide that one year is that they don't want the white kids to show up. Nobody white can show up. So now it's no longer them deciding they don't want to show up. Now they're telling the white students and the white uh, professors and teachers that nobody white should be showing up. So now this professor who's completely a liberal says, I'm not comfortable with that. That's a whole different scenario. So he just goes to work. He goes to work and teaches a class. And before he knows it, somebody's knocking on his door and there's a mob of students outside. I mean, they bullied him. They chased him out. Long story short, he got fired. He got fired. I mean, and, and he had possible tenure, this guy. I mean, he was right. supposedly a really good professor. So it's, how do you, how do you discuss this with Cooper? Does Cooper even get involved or understand or does he have this problem? Um, I don't know if he has this problem. He, you know, was raised in, you know, what we call, you know, I, I want to say a fairly liberal household. But honestly, you know, and it's how my parents were and it's how I was raised and it's how Cooper's been raised, which is there's a million names for it. There's country club Republican, um, California Republican, all that. Where we're extreme, but we're not, we don't really fit in the category where we're extremely socially liberal and fall on the slightly conservative side, you know, fiscally. So you're sort of financially conservative and socially liberal. And we were much more, to the middle, except, you know, with all of it. Um, so Cooper's been raised with, you know, the only thing we are biased against in my family, and that's how I was raised, was uh, willful ignorance, laziness, and stupidity, and closed-mindedness. That had no place in any of my life growing up, in Cooper's life growing up, that's it. So he's very sort of attuned to it. He's been raised in a world where he'll yell at me and my friends for saying things. Oh, like, okay, you can't yeah. say that. It's like, 
Yes, we can. Yes, you know? can. Okay, so now I know. But, oh, but, so, but it's like this day of absence. The interesting thing about that is I think I understand what the teacher, with the, with the uh, professor, the professor was the point he was making. Was it a little tone deaf in the situation that we're in? Um, yeah, a little. You should think so? Lost, okay. No, but I'm saying, but should he have lost his job over it? No. Should there have been the mob mentality? No. The way, you know, I would see how to do that is if the black community that's involved with the school and the brown community that's involved with the school and the white kids who want to be involved in it. It's a day where if your teachers want to show up, you can go to class, but nothing is taught of any consequence. So nobody's being penalized for not being in class. And that gives everybody their options. But the I think the sentiment behind them asking all the white kids not to go to class is a sign of solidarity. I think as a professor, I understand what he, the point he was trying to make, but you also, if you wanna make a real point, you cannot, you can no longer do it in any kind of a tone deaf way. I understand. And I think we agree on most of it. What I don't understand about the cancel culture is why does it have to be a Republican or democratic issue? We're destroying comedy, we're destroying television, where people are losing jobs, people are apologizing all over the place. I mean, it means nothing anymore. I don't like watching my words. And I've said that on, on my podcast before when I said something, I said, whoever gets offended, just don't respond. I'm not responding to anything. Well, that's the thing is you should be allowed not to listen then. Right. Well, that's the whole point. I mean, I miss the good old days of if you didn't care for a particular comedian, you just didn't listen. Right. You know, or you had comedians that were like Eddie Murphy, who, I mean, I miss the good old days of David, uh, of Eddie Murphy, of Don Rickles, of your mom. I mean, they said Richard Pryor, none of these people would be allowed to be performing now. Never, never. And in fact, not only wouldn't they be allowed to perform, if they ever tried to do anything, probably, they would probably get cancel culture. They wouldn't even let them move on with their life. No. Do anything, right? That's the sad part. I mean, yeah. I remember watching Johnny Carson, which was a great episode. He had on Zaza Gabor. And of mm -hmm. course she comes on looking gorgeous with this big, gorgeous furry cat right in front of her. And she says, hello, Johnny, would you like to pet my pussy? And he says, sure, move the cat. And I just remember it was so funny to me, but he got Hilari fined. No, by the way, hilarious. Hilarious, but he got fined for that from what I remember. I was a little kid, but I just remember it was so funny. And I always try to find it on YouTube. Yeah. And but you, know, you I can't do that anymore. You can't do anything anymore. So that's the thing. So where's the diversity? in the material in comedy. There's no diversity to me. I, I don't know where it is. And it's been something I've been talking about a lot is it, it kills creativity. It kills creativity and it just shows so much. Listen, people will laugh at something they even disagree with if it's really funny and you're making fun of everybody, but if you're constantly making fun of, let's say Donald Trump over and over, Jimmy Kimmel used to be so funny. It's not so funny anymore because what you're really just trying to do is you sound like you're subliminally trying to get the world to hate him because you hate him. I don't want to be schooled. I want, you know, I want you to make me laugh. It was right. like, I, I think Alec Baldwin was great with the Trump impersonation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought it was so funny. He was great. Uh, Jim Carrey, I thought was terrible. You know, it's almost like they don't want to show because they have an opinion and, and they're biased to him. So they don't want to show that he's kind of losing his mind a little bit. 
you know, so they didn't show enough of that or him shuffling his feet when he's, you know, I've been through it. My mom, my mom was sick with Alzheimer's for nine years. I see the signs. I lived with it. And, right. you know, it's so funny. It's like, it's so taboo. They don't want to touch it. Then I, it's not funny. If you're going to be funny, you have to offend people. That's part of being funny. Well, absolutely. And, you know, my mother used to walk out on stage and list the first thing she would do towards the end of her life was just start by, by standing there talking to a string of Our insults. I remember, you know, but like expletives, the worst racial slurs you could think of. And you would hear the room go, <gasps> and she would say, we're all something. Now let's do the show. <laughs> I loved her. I got to tell you, I loved so, her. And I that, that was how she dealt with it yes. with yes. we're all something. Get over it. Let's take, and also the thing we always, my mom used to always say was, you can disagree with someone. You can have huge, different opinions about people. If you can laugh with someone, you can't hate them. I like that. That is a very, very good quote. That's right. But if you, you can't laugh, laugh. If you can laugh with someone, you can't hate them. Because you could say, I can't stand them. They're awful. I hate everything they stand for, but you can't actually hate someone who you can actually connect with through humor. I agree. I think humor is the number one thing. And that's how I was brought up. And I'm yeah. curious if you were brought up the same way with humor. What do you think? Is that a rhetorical of, question? I know it's not. I know it was, but I mean, my mom was so sarcastic and funny. I mean, she had five of us and she lost her husband at 39. We were five kids and she was in survival mode. She was just worried about how she's going to set her boys up in business. Her right. girls, she'll marry off as soon as she can, get rid of them. Don't even fill their cavities. Save it for their husbands, you know, <laughs> the root canals. Yeah, that was my mother's attitude. Save it for the husbands, the boys. We got to get them a business because that's what we did back then. We didn't go to right. college. We yeah. weren't, you know, brainiacs. You, you were a dummy. You finished high school. You went into your father's business. And that was, and that, it. was that. We had no father. So she right. was just in survival mode. But my mom was always so funny when we would ask her mom, so who was your favorite kid? She'd say, ah, you were all lousy. Like my mom just always had this negative right. to, about yeah. everyone equally. We were all equally terrible. We were equally a pain in the neck, but she was funny. And I see that, I get that. Your mom had that same kind of, it's almost like a Jewish sense of humor, isn't it? Yes, very much so. And it's also, you know, it, it's, it's also a reflect, you know, my mother's comedy was very much a reflection of what was going on in society. It was very much um, holding a mirror up to, to, to what she was personally experiencing. Okay, so here's my question. What would Joan Rivers today do if she was out doing a comedy bit or hosting the awards? I don't know. I know she would be very unhappy with the state of the world. Mm -hmm. I know she would be very troubled about the divisiveness that's happening in our country, you know. Like but we don't always, you think? Like I'm sorry to interrupt. In, but in our house, we used to say, "Funny is funny. It doesn't matter where it comes from." Um, I think she would try, and she would. I think her voice would be louder than ever, and trying to make everything okay by laughing at it and taking what we say, taking the piss out of it. And I don't know if she would be allowed to. I think I like to think she would be grandfathered in right. as one of the people who could turn around and be like, <laughs> 
Taking something so horrifying. <laughs> I mean, you forget this is a woman who made jokes about the uh, Holocaust yes. and who made jokes about 9-11. And she got so much shit for that. And she was doing her, sh her, her show in New York and a woman came backstage after and said, it was right after 9-11. And she said, thank you for making me laugh. Because if you don't, I mean, even, listen to this, she made Holocaust jokes and there's great, there's actually a great documentary about Jewish humor during the Holocaust. It's how people survived. Right. And I think we've lost, the country as a whole has lost its sense of humor. Yeah. And we did the same thing in our house. I mean, every time it was the anniversary of our father's death, you know, we were all so young and it was such a touchy subject, but at the dinner table, they'd be like, okay, you know, today or tomorrow night is the anniversary of daddy's death. And, you know, my sister would chime and be like, well, what should we get him as, uh, or I'm sorry, not the anniversary of his death. It would be his, his birthday. birthday. Yeah. It's his birthday. She's like, oh, so my sister would chime and go, oh, so what should we get him? And, you know, I'd be like a shovel. You know, it's like, yeah. I, it's it just tried anything to make us laugh because who wants to go down the road of just pity and, and thinking about it? So yeah, it was just, everything had laughter at the end of it. Yeah, and I think obviously right now though, it was like this country is so under siege. It's very, very hard to find humor and it's very hard to find laughs and you're kind of chastised if you, do see humor in something. And I think that's a really big problem with all the stress that everybody's under. Well, yeah, because they've ruined late night for us. I mean, we can't watch any late night TV. Nobody's funny. I mean, poor Jimmy Fallon, who I think is so talented and I've met him a bunch of times and he's such a nice guy. I mean, the fact that he patted um, uh, Donald Trump's hair, I mean, he had to apologize for that. I mean, they got him right back in line that he's in sync now with everyone and everyone's in lockstep of, you know, being the same. It's not funny for me. That's not entertaining for me. You know right. And, you know, there's a big difference between news and entertainment. But isn't that the problem? Everybody is trying to be a part of the news. Everybody is. I don't trying. think everyone's trying to be a part of the news. I think everybody is so distressed. And I think there's so much crazy and so much noise out there that you just, you just want to put your head in a hole. I mean, I've literally had to stop watching the news. Me too. The last 10 days I have not, I mean, I watched the debate and that was it. I can't watch anymore. I'm, I'm here, you know, yeah, I can't it's too watch much. anymore. Okay. And, and, as, and I think it's a really hard, it's a, I think it's, you know, it's a little bit of the perfect storm. Can we talk about Hollywood a little? Because I do find that Hollywood is a little bit of the, you know, problem in a lot of this. Um, okay, I'll just represent my people. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm not, I would just, I, I listen, I know you're a big part of it, although- <laughs> I, you know, I will speak for my people, come ahead. They're, hopefully they're not your people. I, I, I'm sure <laughs> that if you know we were off this podcast and spoke, we'd probably have a lot more in common than you think. But- No, I think we have a lot in common. Yeah, we have a lot in common. But okay, so you know the award show, you have to have a certain number of people in order to, to, to have a movie that can make it into the Oscars. You have to have a certain number of diversity. I mean, how are people going along with this? How are people going along with taking a job away from Scarlett Johansson because she's not Asian and then wanna cancel her because she says, I should be allowed to play anybody I wanna play, a man, a woman. I mean, isn't that their whole thing anyway? Their whole, their whole platform is there's no gender, you can do everything you want. Up until you get a role, then they wanna give it to somebody who's of that gender, like, or that race. 
Right. It's, everything is so paradoxical. Well, I think it's again the pendulum. The, there was it was so bad that I think again the pendulum has had to go so far the other direction that we're still living in that world. That everything, you know, guess what? Oscar's so white, one hundred percent. They made a huge effort to bring diversity into the voting body, youth, things that should have happened years ago. Women. I mean, years ago, those things should have happened. But again, everything has to go the furthest it can go before it can start to walk back and find a balance. Do I feel like um, for there, there aren't as many opportunities for minorities in the entertainment business? Absolutely. Do I think it's due to the entertainment business? No, I think it goes back to bigger opportunities and education, having access, all these different sort of you know, tears that need to be addressed rather than the business. Now, I do think that putting, you know, numbers on something never works to anybody's benefit. Do I feel like every studio, every network, every company should be providing opportunities and programs and specifically, um, you know, minority opportunities and programs? Yes, because then you know you just don't know where the next great role is coming from, or the next great director is coming from, or the next great writer is coming from. Um, unfortunately, the slippery slope of it is, for example, if you are not, you know, whatever you're writing about, you're not allowed to write about it. Right. That's that to me is a problem. I did a really interesting interview with Mark Cherry, who said he could not get Desperate Housewives done right now with him at the helm because he's not a woman, <laughs> you know? And it's like, that's where it gets a little crazy. Do I feel that our- But he has his new show on yeah, Netflix. Yeah, what we were talking about, yeah. you know, back in the, you know, if he was back trying to day, sell that right. show now, he couldn't sell it. Right. And, you know, which is accurate. And I think that's where we've gone too far. Do I feel like there has to be more, I hate the word community outreach, but I do think there has to be more diversity on every level in our business, especially in the executive levels. And I think that has to be a grassroots thing where, you know, there has to be active recruiting and opportunities for, so like, for, for, for everybody to be able to get in all, you know, as a, as a PA, as an assistant, as a this, as a that, as, you know, there's, there's so many ways. Like I started out as an intern. Wow. You know, but there should be, internships offered and not just offered, but actively engaged in and cultivated within minority communities. Okay, I mean, that makes sense and I agree with that. The problem is, is that it's endless. You can say that the fat people or obese people are not getting their fair share. Gay people are not playing enough of, you know, they're actors, they can be playing straight uh, uh, roles. Uh, short people, I mean, it's just endless. I mean, this whole- It is pandemic, endless. It's endless. It I don't endless. want, and this is the world I don't want to live in because I am a free speaker. I don't like anyone watching my words. I have no animus towards anyone in the world, but I will say anything to be funny. I say dumb shit all the time. 
Really? Friend, Why aren't you preach, preaching to the choir here? Okay, yeah, but I mean, I'm still, sometimes I'm always worrying about watching my words and I can't watch my words. I have no bad intent to anyone. I'll help anyone, but I'll say anything for a fucking laugh. But like what I mean, you said at the restaurant is hilarious. Yeah, I mean, that's just one of a million things that I say. I would I mean, have said, my, look for the two middle-aged women <laughs> desperately trying to hang on in the corner. You know what I mean? All right. Like that, right. I, I get that. I'd be like, you know, oh, we'll bring the, yeah, okay. Yeah, look for the two middle-aged desperate women. Dress, dress too young. You know? I told the hostess here in New York that knows me. She wouldn't. Uh, she said, "I'm sorry, Rich. We're really, really packed." I go, "You're racist. It's because I'm black, right?" I mean, <laughs> and she was black. So I mean, it's like I don't know what they're gonna say about me after. But I, what? I was hopped up on what clonopin and a whiskey. So I mean, what do I know half the shit I'm saying? By the way, it's funny. I gotta laugh. If I don't laugh, Melissa, then I will wind up under my bed. Not even in my bed, under my, my parents, bed. My parents, one of their companies was called Laugh or Die. Really? I love that. That's how I feel. I have yeah. to laugh. I have to get through life laughing. If I if it's I can get through it, life laughing, it's it is all so awful now. Awful. And isn't there a double standard? So this is what, and, and I don't know if you can be honest with this because I don't want shit to fall down on you. Not that, you know, the whole world's listening to this, but there is there a double standard? You look at um, Sarah Silverman lost a job because she wore blackface. Mind you, she dressed as a Nazi on Conan O'Brien and nobody flinched, nobody cares. It's almost like you can do anything to the Jews and nobody cares about how you insult the Jews in any way. But everybody else, they go crazy about. But the irony is that Joy Behar was in blackface. So how do you decide why is there such selective outrage? I, that's what I want to understand in Hollywood. That's the thing that makes me disappointed and a, a little bit angry is that I don't like selective outrage. If you're going to be outraged by something, you have to be outraged across the board. I agree. I find that actually, I forgot about that. That's very interesting. Just like when Ted Danson did it, when he was dating Whoopi, Right. And he got, you know, and it came up and he said, I'm so sorry. And that was that. Um, I don't know how that works. I think, you know, and then, you know, you go back to poor Kate Smith, who they took down her statue in front of, you know, the stadium where the Flyers play because she sang a song that was in some movie that she was doing that she was told she had to sing and she sang it, you know, with no malintent. And yet, you know, and again, it was taken out of context of the time. Right, of course. So, you know, I, I think, again, the selectiveness is, is, is difficult, but at least with the selectiveness, people are trying to keep things in context. As for you can do anything to the Jews and make fun of them, absolutely. That's been a problem there, the, you know, since the Red Sea. You know, I mean, that's, and that's a whole separate problem. It is a separate problem. Part of why I do not understand why the Black community and the Jewish community cannot get together on the same page. Well, what's ironic is that um, there's been so much anti-Semitism, especially in Brooklyn, towards um, towards the Jewish community. I mean, literally being smashed in the head. There are videos of smashed in the head as they're walking with their phone and they're, you know, the seat right. hanging down. I mean, they're not fighters. These people are not fighters. They're not antagonists. They're not, you know, uh, criminals of any, not even petty criminals. They're walking a baby and they get hit in the head. Their phone gets grabbed, right. but you don't hear about it. And this is what to me is just so unbelievable. I hate unjust. Melissa, I, I want to be fair to everyone. You know, things have to be fair across the board and somebody has got to stand up. It's like Joe Rogan. I love him. He says, you need people with fuck you money. 
He's oh, yeah. one of them. He says, once you have fuck you money, what you do is you go on, you say the shit you want to say, you never apologize, and you keep breaking down the barriers, but you need a bunch of people to do it. You need the people with the fuck you money to come on and say what they want to say and not apologize for it. Right. I, and I, I agree with Your that. mom was one of them. Yeah, I, I agree with no. that. No. Yeah, your mom was one of them. Unfortunately, we also live in you know a very unsafe world. We live in a cancel culture. You'll Not lose your that, job. Think, but also I think there's crazy people out there that will come after you. I mean, I grew up with my mother having constant death threats and going to school at times with bodyguards and wow. Cooper's had to go through it. And, you know, it does make you take a step back. It does make you take a step. However, my mother never apologized. Yes, that I know. That was one thing I totally respected about her is she didn't apologize. Yeah. It was a joke. Yeah. Why well, can't unfortunately she didn't apologize to me when she needed to apologize to me? Let's get into that. She didn't have to because you knew you knew no. her. when I what? my mother when I would really get mad. I mean, that was what was our running joke was she never would apologize. Like when she knew I was mad at her, she would do anything and everything to show me she was sorry, but not actually apologize. She was stubborn. No, it just, you know, she just wouldn't, it was, it wasn't even stubborn. Like I remember one time we had a huge argument and I was flipped out on her and I went upstairs. She was staying with me. We were shooting something. I was stomping upstairs and I hear, you know, whispering in the kitchen and all these different things. And then a couple hours later, I hear her coming up the stairs and I'm like, not ready for this little feet coming up the stairs. And I'm like, I hear you. <laughs> and she's like, just wondering if you wanted something to eat. That's her apology. Right, exactly. I'm like, can you just apologize? You got it. Yeah, I got you one. Got apo your apology. I, yeah, I got, I think one real apology, maybe two in my entire life. Your mother was awesome. You didn't need the apology. Should I? Oh tell yes, you? I did. Believe me. No, you didn't. There were you know times why? I needed an apology. Her actions were her. That was it. It was her actions. I remember the story of her and you in an airport, and I think the plane. I think they bumped people off the plane, and but she had to be somewhere, so they tried to get her on the plane and leave you in the airport, and you were crying, and she's like, "You expect me to leave my daughter on behind crying?" I'm like, your mother, it didn't matter how much she fought to get to where she was, her success. I her must have been very young. She must have been young? I must have been young. Yes, I, it probably was. It was an old story. I remember it. I remember everything. Your mom talks yeah, about everything. That was, I don't remember that. So it must have been very young. So you see, I'm giving you a good story about Thank your mom you. now. If you don't remember. She and said, I, are you crazy? I can give you, you a good one my... back. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I mean, she there was a certain kind of loyalty towards your mom in spite of in spite of what she had to do. I mean, she had so many commitments and she had to work, she had to make a living, she had to fight everybody. I mean, talk about struggling. Your mom was the only woman in a, in a male dominated field and she had to fight everybody and she did it. And she did Definitely. it really, she didn't complain. No, she didn't complain. We don't am I right or am I wrong? Maybe she complained right. at home. My dad didn't complain, I didn't complain. Cooper, yeah, well, he's a teenager, so he still complains. I'm a chronic complainer. We spoke on this with last time I we, yeah. we we spoke. I'm a chronic complainer, but I'm learning to not complain so much. Um, but I don't think I'm like, but just you know, I'm always waiting for the for the shoe to drop. The next, you know, I'm always waiting for the next, you know, drama to happen. You sound like me exactly. I'm, I'm always ready for like the next crisis. Like okay, okay, 
I got through the day. I mean, there's, there's, I said to one of my friends last week, it was just a crazy week. I said, I feel like I would have been safer playing in traffic. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I would have had a better chance of a week playing in traffic. Right. <laughs> Brad is <laughs> laughing in the corner here. He can't compose himself. <laughs> so when people ask you, how are you doing? Are you the kind that always says, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. Like you'll never say things are good or great because you're always afraid for the other shoe to drop. I, I, Is that yeah. you? Yeah. Me too. That's yeah. me. I'm terrified if I say it's good, it's gonna become not good. Me too. Oh my God, I, we're yeah. so similar in that way. Oh yeah, no, I always am like, you know, whenever I'm complaining about something, I always end up saying, Look, I have to, I qualify everything. I know how lucky I am. I have a healthy child. I'm allowed to work in the, my, my chosen career. My life is good. I have, I don't have to worry about food on the table. I, like, I have to do this major disclaimer before I complain about anything. So my friends and I often go like, okay, let's acknowledge the disclaimer. And now let's go. Like we've shortened <laughs> it to shorthand. It's just like, okay, disclaimer. Right. Now here's what's happening. My brother always says, why can't you just say everything is good? Just tell me it's good. No, I mean, I'll say to my friends, I'm like, it's all good. You know, everything's okay. fine. It's okay. good. That still has a question mark at the end of or, it. Or what I say best that I can hope for it to be. <laughs> um, I like that. I'm going to use that too. I'm going to use yeah. that too. It's all, so, you know, or as I often say, when you say, how are you? I'm like, upright. <laughs> I'm upright. You're upright. That's I'm it. upright. And I'll, my thing is I need to be horizontal. There's a certain part of the day, I'm like, okay, I need to be horizontal. I cannot even be sitting up, I need to be flat. And I'm a young guy, I, but I just sometimes- Are you a fan of, are you a fan of the nap? Yes, but I never get to nap. I am a fan. I always say I'm gonna nap, but I never do. And my kids come up when I'm napping and my son will- How old are they? They're six. Right. And they're so good they're kids. they're really young. They're young, but they don't understand. Like my dad died of a heart attack and so did all his brothers, seven, and my grandparents. So when he comes to me when I'm sleeping and goes, ah, and puts up and I jump and my heart, I keep telling him, you cannot do that. You can't, and he laughs. The two By the way, just, that makes it more fun. I know, but they don't, they just don't get it. I have to sleep. Well, I don't think it's six they should be getting that scaring you half to death really dredges up a lot of very dark. <laughs> it dredges up a lot. Sends and you to a wants, dark and fearful place. He scares the shit out of me. I don't think at six, you should, he shouldn't be like, oh, this, this is a trigger for daddy. Yeah, this is a trigger for me. <laughs> he, they don't know. I have to hide my electric razor. do not understand razor. the concept of triggers. Oh yeah. He told me one day we went, you know, for, we were in New Jersey and we were going for lunch and one place had closed right about the time we got there. The other place couldn't seat anyone. The other place had another problem. And you know, me being who I am, start going into a rage. I'm with Brad and the two kids and I'm starving. Cause like by three o'clock now I'm starving. I want to kill people. Okay. Right. Kill people. And my son sees that I'm getting nervous. And he tells me, he goes, daddy, you're sabotaging yourself. <laughs> and I, and I literally looked at him and I was like, you're right, I am. I was fighting with Brad. I was fighting with everyone. That's hilarious. Yeah, he-, he That's hilarious. Do you ever miss the days of when Cooper was so young? Or oh, are you-, you Yes, think? yes. I see people on the street with little boys. And I'm like, I always heard to cry. I miss it. The other day I, I was talking to someone on Zoom and their daughter who's like three was like in her lap kissing her. And I'm like, oh God, I miss that. I miss that so much. But Melissa, you're free. You're free. You're out of the woods. But, you raised a great kid. 
but I love being a mom and yes, I'll always be a mom, but I do miss those warm and cuddly. Like it's thanks. It's, it's Halloween. I mean, I know we have a shitty Halloween this year, but I was with a friend of mine and like her daughter's eight and she's like, yeah, we're not going to do Halloween, but we still bought a costume. And I'm thinking, I remember that it was so great, you know? And then you, you got to enjoy those moments. I, I like, try to, you know, I'm older. You were a lot younger when you had Cooper. I was a little, I'm a little bit older with my kids. So I try to have, be more patient and enjoy the things as they come. And I yeah. do, I do it, but you know, I don't know. Like I said, I'm just always waiting for the other shoe to drop. So I'm always cautious about what's happening next. What yeah. was it like? Like, I want to ask you this because, you know, I know so much about your mom. I read her books, but she never spoke about what was family like growing up? Very you guys traditional. Are, you were very traditional. traditional. Um, very, very. Did you observe holidays? Were you? No, not traditional like that. Oh. Traditional as in, yes, but not very. If we went to temple once a year, it was a lot. Right, Yom Kippur or whatever, yeah. Right, and then it would always be like the debate, do we leave after the appeal and before the sermon or do we get out right before the appeal or right. do we leave like one at a time? Right. Like it was always that debate. Yes. <laughs> you know, I go, then you go, then my dad goes, like, you right. know, do we stagger our exit? I feel one? you. Yeah, um, and we always did like Passover. Right. So you did, you had tradition and you were a traditional home. But a traditional in the sense of we sat down for dinner every night. Right. That Yeah, that's I, what I mean. Yes. My parents, you know, uh, there were, and Cooper, uh, you know, and this is a child rearing thing. There were expectations that were to be met that nowadays you're not allowed to put those kind of expectations on your children. You know, I was to be polite. I had to get good grades. I had to have perfect table manners. I had to, you know, there were expectations and consequences. And it was a very traditional home. We sat down together every night for dinner. If my parents were going out, my dinner was brought upstairs to eat with them while they were getting ready. The phones were not, you know, they, we didn't have cell phones. The phones were turned off. My parents did not miss school events. My parents did not miss, like it was very, very traditional. They were very old school. I, what? They were old, very school. old school. And that's how I, I raised Cooper. Like even when he was, you know, in, in an older teen and doing his sports and all that in high school, you know what? After a game, we would still sit down and eat together. I love that. You know, and obviously and when they get older and older and older, it's hard because right. they have homework and this and that and the other. Right. But I, you know, and I would say <clears throat> probably five nights of the week, dinner was together. See, that's and all, by the way, and all during quarantine. You know, what, what made me so happy was during quarantine, he and I would still have dinner. We'd set the table. We would do everything like we always did, which brought me great joy because that means it's, it, it, it's, it's part of who he is. Did you bond with him more over the quarantine? Was it a, more of a bonding? Well, you know, I'm a single parent. His dad's involved, but I, I was the primary right. parent. And um, we always had a really good relationship. Um, when he was leaving for college, it got kind of rocky because- we, he was trying to separate and it was really not good as, as my therapist said, it should have happened the year before. Unfortunately, it happened right before he left for college where he had this huge blow up at me and didn't want to talk to me. And I'm living with my dad and she had never done. I'm like, you know, it was really wow. painful for me. And then of course he came right back home and acted like nothing had happened. And it was, as it was explained to me by my friends and, you know, I called my therapist and the thing is, especially with only children, they have to be, do a very dramatic, what they call soiling the nest. 
so that they can leave. That must and be it's so hard. So hard. And what happened was when he came home, and then and then we repaired everything and blah, blah, blah. But when he came home for COVID, it was a hard readjustment for both of us because I had just sort of gotten my life more organized as an empty nester. And he was a freshman, had his first taste of like freedom with no pain. And then suddenly we were thrown back together. And I got to tell you, we've never gotten along better. Our relationship took on a whole different dynamic through it. Um, yeah, we argued. So, but you why know, do you I, think that is? Of course you argue, but why do you think it got better? Do you think it had anything to do with him being with his father at some point or? No, I don't think that at all. Um, okay. Because he's close with his dad. Anyway. He's okay. always lived with me. I think what happened was we were stuck together and we had to, you know, not, we were always stuck together. It sounds weird, but we had to learn how to divide and conquer as a team. And we just, for, I'm really fortunate that we came out of quarantine much closer. We would have, See, know. you know what else is? We would have an argument and get over it faster. And we learned how to read each other a little bit better. And we both Wasn't learned it? how yeah. We, we learned how to um, work around each other a little bit better. I like that. You have to work around each other. Isn't it a lot of it comes from the parent? I think all of that comes from the parent. I think your parenting skills that I think you got from your mom makes this happen where you're able to maybe argue and then come around. And I don't know your son, but I've heard you talk about him so much. And he does sound, I will say the two things he sounds is very good hearted and loyal. Yes. He is good hearted and loyal and he's funny. Um, and everyone, you know, he has a great sense of humor with everyone except for me, you know, right, just normal. I was the same way. So I get it. You get it. Um, you know, we, I think we're really fortunate in the relationship we have. Um, you know, everyone's like, oh, I'm closer with my child than anybody else. I think due to circumstance, my son and I are very, very close. And I think, um, yeah, I, strangely COVID brought us closer together. And I don't get as offended or as hurt by things and neither does hot, neither does he now. That's great. See, that's great. You got something out of it. You got something good yeah. out of the whole COVID experience. Yeah, I, I mean, a- yeah, by the way, the other day I had to text him and he, he had been really crabby at me all week. And I'm like, I'm sick of you crabbing. And I'm like, who else is he gonna do it to? Like, he's not being, you know, so I texted, he was crabby at me and I texted him I'm like, number one, you need, I forget, I had something that had to be shipped to him. I'm like, number one, this arrived. I'm sending it to you. Number two, you have been crabby. Every time I've talked to you this week, you either knock it off or you tell me what's going on. One of the two. And I will call, I will hound you until you get rid of this attitude. <laughs> I believe you. I and believe you. I'd be scared there, of I you. I love you. And then I wrote another text saying, you need to go get a flu shot. I want, I want photo proof. <laughs> And I am going to call you every single day until you do it. You know, I will. And I got back a heart. You know what I mean? So cute. So, you know I mean, so it was like, look, I'm, I'm going to be honest. You know, you know, I will hound you. Go to CVS, get the shot, take a picture, send it. To me. <laughs> I love it. I have to learn from that. Take a picture. I'm going to learn. Don't, and he's like, don't you trust me? I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no I don't trust you. Does he talk to you about girls? Not so nah, much. A little, a little. He's very, very 
cagey about that. The couple girlfriends he's had, I've known about and met. Is he private about his family with you, his grandmother? I'm sure he remembers your mom very well. They were very, very close. Very, yeah. very close. Um, yeah, you know, he's still in the, he's still in the phase. And again, I went through this too, of being totally horrified. Totally horrified. So. You're both. totally horrified what? Go telling your parents. What were no, you totally, totally, we, you know, which I understand being completely horrified of his, who his grandmother was, who his mother is. Oh, really? Oh, I went through it too. You did? Well, now horrified. You, don't you look back now and say, wow, was I lucky? Oh, absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. And I knew I was lucky then, and Cooper knows he's lucky, that of we course. could have experiences that very few people got, have gotten to have and done things that, you know, had doors open that we could see things and do things that most people do not get to do. But you didn't but, sacrifice a lot. I mean, other than losing your father at a young age, I know you were young, you didn't lose a lot. You were able to have the success. You were able to have the love, the loyalty, your mom being there. She was there. She was present even when she wasn't present, but she was there. She, I, I see the way you are with your son. All these values have to kind of come from her. Absolutely, absolutely. But when I say horrified, believe me, I, she would be say stuff on TV and I would want to just die the next day at school. Melissa. And, you look like you wanted to die right then and there. I used yeah. to watch you and your mom. She was the daughter and you were the mother. And oh, even yeah. fashion police, she would say stuff and you'd roll your eyes and turn oh, away. I carpet all the time. I just feel like, oh, I can't do this. It and was Cooper, so cute. And Cooper, by the way, Cooper's lived through the same thing. He has lived through the same thing. And it, it makes me laugh because he was like, I can't be like, we have a rule now. I can't post anything without his approval if it involves right. him. And he's like, because like, you know, my friends give me so much shit. I'm like, why are your friends following me? Right. And what's his answer? He's just like, you know, he doesn't have, like in high school, he's like, the, the guys all give me shit. I'm like, why are a bunch of teenage boys following me? Ask them that. That has to be flattering. Come on, on a little but lip. But it makes me laugh because all of his friends think I'm the cool mom and he just wants to die. But you are the cool mom. I mean, just of you. Not in his eyes, because he's my child. Of course, of course. Okay, so, so he wants uh, he he wants to die, and but I get it because I was the exact same way, so I can just look at him and be like, "It'll get better." <laughs> That's all I can tell you. It'll okay. get better. It'll get better. Listen, I want to ask you this question, which is a little personal. Your mom never remarried. Mm -mm. Was there a reason? And what, do you want to get married again? I mean, she I find had, it interesting. She had my two long-term relationships. She did. Yes. It was not in the public eye. Uh, not really. Know? They weren't, they, you know, they were both businessmen. Oh, cause I didn't know. And I'm pretty nosy. I usually know this shit, but okay. Yeah. No, she had two long time, long-term relationships after my father. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Um, no, there was just no reason. No reason. She was like, at my age, why do I need to get remarried? Okay. And what about you? Oh no, I've had a, I've had a couple long-term relationships, none of which have ended successfully, obviously. Um, Right now, I think if the situation was right, if it made sense, you know, again, for me, it's more about the symbolism. And I don't think I should get married just for a piece of jewelry. You know what I mean? 
<laughs> well, it depends. So Come on, let's say it's let's say it's a nine carat ring. No, I said I, I would accept that. That doesn't mean I necessarily need to actually get married. Get married, right. <laughs> I would like the symbolism. I'd like the actual right. symbolism of it. Right. That someone's wearing a ring and I'm wearing a ring and I would have, you know, an engagement, yeah. whatever. I would like the symbolism that do I actually need to go through getting married and doing a prenup and doing all that? Fuck no. My Fuck lawyers no, yeah. make enough money off me. Exactly. You know what? That's actually pretty smart, but be open-minded. No, sometimes, I am open-minded. Sometimes what you think you want is not really what you want. What you think might be your type is not necessarily your if, type. If, if, if the right person came along and the situation was right, absolutely. I'm okay. not anti. Okay, good. You're not anti. Because I mean, you're young, you're smart, you're talented, you're funny. And I cannot meet anyone to save my life. And I am like the man repeller. It's, it's, trust, I know the man repeller. I know her, but listen to me. It's I have, your, we were the first ones to put her on TV. Oh, were you really? Leandra? Yeah. How funny. Okay. Yeah. She's part of my community. Yeah, um, but no, I am a man repeller. Like not like Leandra. I, I know, I know what you mean. Like men, like the idea of me is much more interesting than the reality of me. Of you? Okay. But you know what? Famously said, things are going to turn around and you're going to see it's only a matter of time. Be open-minded. Last oh, yeah. question. I have a last question. I know you are. What would you, what advice would your mom give you now? Just in this phase of everything between cancel culture, and I'm sure you're working on stuff now. I mean, oh, I yeah. forgot to even mention your podcast, which is fantastic. Yeah. Group text, which I loved. I love you being on it. it. I think it's so funny. And you have another podcast. What is it? No, I have my, that's it. Group text. That's it. Group text. And I then love I do mini series on topics within my text, within my, my podcast. That's what it is. <clears throat> what advice would your mom give you now? In just in this whole environment with everything, with cancel culture, worrying about being yourself, worried about being vilified, or what advice would you, about getting married, all of it, what would she say? Oh, don't God. tell me fix your neck. She would say what? Just fix the gobble gobble. Yeah, she would say, get your hair out of your eyes, stand up straight, <laughs> you know. Your mom is the, yeah. your, you know, and. Typical, yeah. typical Jewish mom. Yeah, exactly. You know, what are you doing? What are you eating? Um, you need to lose five pounds. I always could be losing five pounds. Fix your neck. You know, why is your hair like that? Are you getting you know, enough my, sleep? My two sisters blame my mother for all of their weight issues. Still, my mom's been gone for seven years. They blame her for every weight issue because oh, yeah. my mom was the same way. Fix your hair, put on lipstick. You have to lose just a little bit. Yeah. Your waist has to be a little bit smaller. Yeah. yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. But I'll tell you something, she did a great job. And I got to tell you, I tell you this, I miss your mom. I even miss you. You're an extension. You're smart, talented. I love you. And thank, thank you. you for being on this podcast. And thank you for doing my show. Oh, I loved it. I had a great time. We'll do it again. We'll think of another topic that's more. And maybe I'll really show my feelings. Exactly. And then <laughs> when I come to New York, we can go to the restaurant with the pool. I can't wait. We'll go to the pool. We'll go to all my favorites, the monkey bar. There's some that are still swanky and fun because nobody goes anymore. So it's really just um, a select few. There you go. All right. I can't wait. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you. You've been listening to Rich in Life with Rich Arani. If you liked what you've heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R-I-T-C-H in life.com. 